Yeah, and I think that's something that also has changed. I think, Mark, over the few years, we've done our first robotic studies probably over 10 years ago. And we see a difference in the technology itself being better, you know, in attaching and so on, but also uh, improvements on how we manage cows and, and those systems, how we train them, how we feed them. Uh, there's been an evolution, so we're doing a much better job, so there's not necessarily loss, so cows can be productive. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming soon. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AV Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function, Excellent by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia, its uncomplicated excellence, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach, DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. Good morning, and welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show. Uh, this is Mark Thomas here, and it's a pleasure this morning to have Marcia Andres with us uh, from the University of Minnesota. She's a professor and also director of graduate studies at the University of Minnesota Department of Animal Science. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning. Thank you for having me today, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here and talk a little bit about whatever comes up. <laughs> Likewise, it's a it's a pleasure to uh, to have you here. Uh, I first got to know Marcia quite well. Uh, through the uh, Precision Dairy Conference, I, I was invited uh, to be part of that program, uh, a great conference, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that at, at the end of this podcast also, uh, a little bit of promotion for that uh, meeting next year. Uh, and I uh, was really intrigued with Marcia's uh, background and, and especially interest in, in technology. Uh, so, Marcia, with that, can you give us a little, little uh, bit of a background of uh, where you're from and and, and how did you get to the University of Minnesota and in your role as an educator there? Yeah, it's been a, an interesting journey that took me all the way from where I grew up. I grew up in Brazil, in southern Brazil. Uh, grandparents had hosting cows, uh, grew up liking animals, uh, went to vet school, uh, became a veterinarian, and then came to the U.S. for my advanced degrees. My master's uh, of science was actually Iowa State University. I worked beef nutrition at the time. And then switched to a PhD at the University of Minnesota that had a lot more to do with dairy. Uh, and since then, I've focused primarily on dairy cows. Uh, for my PhD, however, I was uh, doing more uh, rumen metabolism and nutrition and so on. And I got a job at a company uh, that was called Mycogen Seeds. Uh, the company was purchased by Dow AgroSciences, uh, a chemical company. And I became basically their animal nutrition manager. So I was in charge of all things related to uh, forages and grains, uh, in charge of the analytical uh, lab, uh, in charge of uh, doing uh, projects with universities uh, in terms of uh, improvement of characteristics of the feed that would be um, you know, helping cows produce more milk and so on. So when I got the job at the University of Minnesota 20 years ago, 21 years ago, Mark, time flies. 21 Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Just this month, I celebrated my 21st anniversary at the University of Minnesota. 
So the position, um, one of my mentors um, who I work with when I was doing my PhD, not my advisor, my advisor was Dr. Marsha Stern, but I had a mentor here, uh, Dr. Jim Lin, who I work with um, evaluating uh, dairy farms as part of a was used to call the Dairy Initiatives Project, where we go to farms and we evaluate the farm and help them improve uh, whatever issues they're having on the farm. And got me into be interested in the whole idea of management more in general, not just nutrition. And so when I came here, uh, I started my position. So Jim Lynn was the search of that committee and he asked me to apply. Um, I didn't think I was going to get the job. So I applied just because I really liked him. <laughs> but when they offered me the job, I thought, well, University of Minnesota, it's a good institution. It's where I live. And that's, you know, that's where my husband and I have a home and I want to stay in Minnesota. I don't think they'll move the University of Minnesota anywhere. Um, my company might move somewhere, but the university probably will not move. <laughs> so I came to the university and started working more on the forage production nutrition side of things until for a couple of years, until the producers kept telling me, um, we want to know more about cow comfort. We want to know more about how we manage our cows, how we improve their housing. And that was a completely new area for me in terms of my training. I kind of had to train myself. I went to British Columbia, did a short study with uh, Dan Wary and Inabel Kaiserlink, learned a bit more about behavioral welfare and so on, and then switched into uh, a role where I basically, because my appointment is research and extension, my research is very applied. So most of my work has been on commercial dairy farms. And the area that producers were interested in in the beginning had a lot to do with how we improve lameness prevalence, for example. So I did one of the first studies where we did a truly random population of farms in Minnesota, 53 farms, where we assess risk factors for lameness. And that was one of the first studies. And producers have actually made changes to their facilities based on some of the aspects we found related to stall design, for example. Um, we all, not just ourselves, but others have found, for example, that sand is a better uh, type of bedding for cows in terms of prevention of lameness and so on. But we did have other facilities within our study that even with uh, things like mattresses, were able to maintain low lameness prevalence by focusing on hoof trimming practices, by focusing on foot bath management, stall design, um, transition cow management, make sure cows are really healthy and so on, just being on top of it paying attention to the cows, we can do things, uh, we can improve lameness. And then I move on to different types of housing. Uh, there were questions about a new type of housing here that was uh, named by a producer as compost better pack barns. Did not work as well in our climate. I mean, we had good results in cow comfort and lameness. Um, even milk quality was actually good. Uh, but management of the bedding was complicated. Um, it didn't take off as much in the Midwest as it did in places like Kentucky or even other countries like Brazil, where you have thousands of barns now um, built using an open bedpack system, which is good for cow comfort, right? So, but that was a question producers had. So we did research with farms on that. Uh, other questions producers had was related to cross-ventilated barns. I don't know if you remember, Mark, that was something kind of new years ago, a few years, not a few years, but maybe 10, 15 years ago. So we did research with farms comparing cross-ventilated barns which, with natural ventilated barns to look at differences, again, in productivity and cow comfort and so on. Um, other areas that producers were interested in knowing more about was the use of separated manure solids for bedding. There was no research done in the Midwest. 
So we did a project with 40 farms uh, looking at, again, risk factors for that, how we manage it better, can it work in the Midwest? And we see more farms today using solids in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, et cetera, uh, parts of the country where it's more challenging because of the climate compared to places like California has used this forever, right? So again, is research basically coming from what producers want to know about? And so the new research that I'm doing more, more of recently has to do with technology, and that's where the Precision Area Conference comes in too, is that Automation was coming in into the U.S., especially robotic milking, for example. And again, not no data, right? No, no, no information really from from research side. So we started working with farms. Uh, various projects have been done, surveys and so on, with my team here, uh, looking at how to improve efficiency and performance and welfare uh, on, on farms that have robotic systems or automatic milk feeders and things like that. So the technology came in. In collaboration with vet school, we've done some research also with sensors, you know, rumination sensors, uh, line behavior sensors. Um, even on the grazing side with colleagues in Minnesota that have sensors in our dairy in Morris, which is a more of organic grazing facility, lots of sensors on those cows. So kind of move into that precision world and um, using technology, again, to to better manage our animals, really, and to hopefully prove efficiency of labor, um, labor being a huge issue on farms today, right? We can't find labor, labor is expensive, and so on. How can we make that labor more efficient? Hopefully, we use the technology can help us with that. So we've done some labor surveys. We're currently doing one, actually, that we're trying to figure out, you know, hours of labor that people spend on farms that have automation and so on. So it kind of goes, Mark, with what is going on in industry, because my research is very applied and working with dairy farmers in the region here, primarily Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, South Dakota. Uh, very cooperative, uh, great to work with. Um, it's just my research is mostly observational in nature, so I don't do a lot of uh, manipulation of what they're doing, so it doesn't affect their day-to-day um, practices, if you will, but gives us the information, the data, sharing of data, dairy comp data, sensor data, robotic data, right? So uh, that data is really helpful to us um, as researchers to better understand the farm and the animals. So that's been what's happening more recently, Mark. It's kind of trying to work with that information and, and learn more from it and hopefully sending that information back to producers to continue help our industry to become more efficient, more sustainable, etc. So that's kind of my journey has been kind of always kind of evolving, which makes it interesting for me because I get bored if I just did one thing, like working with one type of self or the rest of my career, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I like <laughs> to see different things and expose my students to lots of farms. And I think that's good for them, for their growth, for their development too. So that's what I do with my grad students. They can work on farms and get data. So, so it's good. Typical fresh cow incidence of clinical hypocalcemia is three to 6% while subclinical hypocalcemia affects 50% or more of mature cows. Based on cutting-edge research, Excellent offers a new approach that is both effective and easy to use. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. Well, thanks for that background, Marcia. And I didn't realize your, your, your uh, previous uh, training and background in nutrition, and I think that's you know really so important. I remember, you know, quite a number of years ago now, probably you know, over 25 and, you know, st starting in the industry as a, as a young veterinarian 
and having some nutritionists um, challenge me, why is the vet looking at nutrition, right? And I, I, my reply was, name for me a disease of economic importance to the dairy cow that's not related to nutrition. And if I don't dig into nutrition some, uh, that's probably malpractice really, right? Like everything's related to nutrition. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, an amazing background of being able to um, now look at in terms of precision, also precision feeding, um, how that sensor technology rumination monitoring ties into the, the, the ration, the physical ration, feeding routines, time spent eating, lying. So, so uh, really, um, you know, what you've just described there in a few minutes is that integration of um, the cow's daily routine, right? And, and from eating, resting, milking, and, and, then, and then what we do to uh, disrupt that cow during her day, right? You know, locking her up and, 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 and so forth. So, yeah, nutrition is always important, right, Mark? I mean, nutritionists haven't gotten so much better, right? So they do a great job on the farm. And that's what the farmers told me. My nutritionist comes here and does the nutrition for me. Can you tell me more about cow comfort? <laughs> So that's why I kind of move a little bit more in that direction. But having the veterinarian being in vet school, having that training on health side, right? Having the nutrition PhD, I think that helps me understand the farm better. Like you said, when you're lo looking at some of the other things that we, we talked about. And, I, and, and it's, all, it's a foundation, right? The foundation, the nutrition, the health of the animals. That's really very important to know. So you, for yourself, being a vet, understanding that nutrition and having part of your team members being nutritionists and so on, I, I think it makes a very nice package, right? To really help their producers, I think. Yes, yeah. A, a few other comments that you made that got uh, hit home, so to speak. One is that um, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, different beddings, uh, sand versus mattresses and so forth, and then and different regions. And I think that's so important. You know, our group, we, we work throughout the U.S., uh, Mexico, uh, where I live, and, and China, and we can take uh, research, we can take data, we could take what works in certain regions and, and uh, adapt that and or it just works. And then, as you know, in other cases, it, it just doesn't work, right? And or, or so I think that's super important. Um, you know, you can visit a dairy and, and they do something really well, but is it, is it cause and effect? Do we have that high level of production, really good components, great calf health because of that barn? Or is it, you know, the combination of that team, the environment and all those things? So, um, you know, certainly we can we can talk a little bit um, more about that also. Yeah, that makes dairy farming, you know, challenging and exciting because it's a system like you just described, right? Everything is part of that system and it's not a cookie cutter formula for everybody you're going to take from this farm and it's going to work on the other one. Because like you just mentioned, it varies from farm to farm, right? And that's not cause and effect, especially in my world. I do a lot of stuff that I know is not cause and effect. They are relationships. They are associations. But they still lead us to factors that maybe we should be paying attention to and hopefully can make a difference. Because there are certain things that are really hard to test in a controlled study. So we do, um, you know, if you compare to humans, like we know smoking is not good for for us. It can cause lung cancer. But we didn't do a controlled study where we made, you know, 300,000, I don't know, 1,000 people smoke three packs a day, another 1,000 do not smoke. And then we follow them for 20 years and see what happens. There's certain types of projects we have to do more of a relationship kind of thing. But it's kind of obvious sometimes that when I say that most studies are observational in nature, but they looked at, uh, for example, sand as an example being good for uh, lameness or cow comfort, it's probably true. But again, it's not a causation. So it's a good point you make, Mark. <laughs> We're learning. Yes, yes. 
yeah. <clears throat> and the openness to making different situations, different systems, different technologies work and or not work, right? So I think that's important. Yeah. And then your comment about applied research, um, you know, that really, really hits home because so many times we, we pick up journal dairy science and there's an article that uh, maybe there's a technology or system that actually has some great benefits, but logistically it's just not possible to implement that. So um, I, I think it's really neat that, you know, one for, uh, for the students, you know, their learning opportunities, but then for the dairy industry as a whole, you know, you're on farm um, and, and, and we do lots of research and controlled trials are really important, but you have a lot of touch points. You know, you say you have 50 plus farms enrolled in a project and that day-to-day -day interaction with the teams, that information, those data are relevant to that site, you know, many sites, but to that, to that producer. So I think from the extension outreach standpoint, um, that's a really exciting opportunity. Right, right. And I agree with you. We need to have both, right? Controlled studies have their place, of course. But then we need to kind of hopefully team up and have, how does this work on the field now? There is a technology that, I'm not going to mention names, but technology that was from Europe that worked really well in small in smaller settings, small farms in Europe, but come to the U.S. in larger dairies, more than 2,000, 2,000 cows, that was really, was not working as well, cannot handle the amount of data collected or cannot really... Uh, more is uh, specifically identify locations and things like that. So you're right. Sometimes it doesn't extrapolate as well, right? So I think we need to do both. You know, we test it, you validate in a smaller setting, and then how does it work now in a larger setting where we have, you know, more noise, if we will, more things happening, right? Um, so, yeah, it's very important to to pair them. And, I, and again, I don't have a site. I don't have a site, so I, I had to do this. I had to be creative because my producers want to learn more about management and comfort and so on. And we have a tie stall here on campus. Uh, the cows are not together in a group. I can't not do the type of research for the dairy of the future where most dairies are going towards. Our cows are mostly now housed in freestyles and in groups and not housed individually. Of course, we still have that system. But if you look at the percent of animals, majority of them are in a system that's more group-based. And I didn't have those facilities here. So I had to be creative and start collaborating with farmers. And thank goodness they are very good collaborators and allow us to, you know, get access to their data and so on. Well, that's a, a super important point. And, and, you know, talking back about research is a tie stall can be a great environment for a, a pilot trial, uh, you know, maybe a feed supplement that you feed to an individual cow, but you can't extrapolate that data well to pens of 250 or we have some farms, pens of 500 cows. It's just completely different, right? And, and um, I think, uh, you know, we're involved in a number of proof of concept evaluations. They're not trials, but really it's the proof of concept. Okay, here's a here's trial data. Now, can we actually implement this logistically on a dairy farm? The labor, the management, what do we need to do to get it done? And that's going to vary, you know, with each individual um, site and, and, and their management style. So definitely, definitely varies. It's a good thing that there is different, right? I mean. It's kind of exciting. I mean, it's challenging for all of us, both those of you guys that consult with them or those of us doing research with them, that each site is different. But it's also fun, I think, compared to other species. I think there is very individual, yeah. You know, every farm does things a little bit differently. And I, I think for me, that's great because I like seeing different things. I Like I said, I like diversity. So that's that's very cool about our industry. Yeah, it does not really uh, completely, you know, vertically 
integrated and everybody does the same thing. So I hope that never becomes that way, to be honest, Mark. I would like to have diversity and still have some farms that are smaller and some that are very large. I mean, whatever works best for them, right, to stay in business. It's kind of nice to have that in the dairy industry, I think. Okay, well, you, you just answered my, my next question that just popped into my head. And no, 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 that's great. No, that's great. You're, we're thinking the same way. Um, it, it's more related to if I think of a poultry or swine, um, and I don't want to use the word cookie cutter in a bad way, but right, those facilities are very similar. And I, and I, I don't work in those, those areas, but you know, many facilities are, are very similar in type of the design, the ventilation, the feeding, right? Um, across, I think not only the U.S., but even in other countries. There's been um, research, and, 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 and those uh, industry leaders have found what really works. So my question was going to be, you know, do, do you see someday dairy being that? Um, uh, you, you just commented that you, you hope not, and I, again, that diversity, you know, will that always exist? Or do we, do we find that perfect facility um, that then becomes replicated and and, and dairy farming becomes more like a, a, a layer facility? I, I, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, of course, and what's going to happen in the future. But I, and at least the farmers I work, I work with, they're very good individuals. They like to have their own, you know, do things their own way, right? So I, I don't see this happening in the near future. And then we do have the consumers that create also some niche markets, I call it. Like the consumers are like the grass-fed dairy or whatever, you know, grass-fed milk, whatever you want to call it, or cheese or you name it, right? Or the, maybe the consumer that likes to have the small farm that bottles their own milk or makes their own cheese, you know, so that's, they're not going to be majority of the dairies, but there'll be maybe a space for them uh, that is kind of uh, keeps them in business because they're getting more for their product. And then you have the very streamlined, very large operations. The example here in Minnesota, super, super efficient. They they are awesome in terms of if you look at what costs per hundredweight to produce their milk is amazing what they do because they have very well-trained employees. The facilities are very um, well-designed and very efficient. Uh, they have veterinarians on staff. They have hoof trimmers on staff. You know, those are very large operations where their trimmers prevalence is low. Their transition cow issues are not very, not, not a problem and so on. And it works really well for them, right? Uh, I don't know if every single farm is going to be that way, but we do see some consolidation, as you know. Minnesota has lost lots of, lots of farms in the last five years or so, 10 years, uh, but we didn't lose cows. So we still have close to 500,000 cows in Minnesota with less farms, a bit less than 2,000 farms now. So what happens to those cows? They move to larger operations. And of course, it's something related to cost of living and how can you have, you know, a small farm is no longer enough for a family to support themselves. So they had to consolidate and get larger. So we do see this trend mark of farms consolidating and getting larger in the country overall, not just here. As you know, we have a lot less dairy farms than we used to. But I hope we don't get to a day that we only have, you know, I don't know, 20 farms in the country having all 9 million cows that we have. I think that, I mean, in my opinion, because I do like the diversity. So, again, that might be a different opinion. Somebody else might disagree because they think we should be all efficient and not worry about having those niche market farms, etc. But I like the diversity. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But what do you think? Do you think that would be our future, like very streamlined, larger dairies only and commodity milk? Or what do you see? I, I guess I would agree in, in terms of um, the industry having a long ways to go to get to that point. 
and 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 then are are there truly benefits? Because you know we see, um, especially geographically, as we look, you, you mentioned cross cross ventilation facilities. Um, uh, there's really there's there's one facility in Mexico that's a cross vent barn, and we've had producers, uh, you know, we've been part of those uh, visits and decisions and and, and um, budgets of looking at those facilities and and really come back to um, not moving in that direction. Okay, so you know, given the climate and lots of different uh, reasons, so um, again, that may be a mistake, but um, I think we have quite a ways to go before we see that level of um, not only consolidation, but uh, management that becomes so so streamlined and, and, and uh, with less variability. Right, and there's costs, right? We look at energy costs of running those fans and so on. Some parts of the world, they cannot even afford that, right? Well, I was at dairies, I was doing field days in Texas just uh, last week or the week before last, I guess, yeah. So these dairies have tunnel ventilation, a hybrid tunnel ventilation where you also have supplemental VS, Artex fans that blow over specific areas of the barn, right? So they're, they're controlled by temperature, humidity, specific areas of the barn. And then they when they turn the tunnel and the misters in the front, the foggers to cool the air. The producer told me that one day, the summer, the temperature outside was 115 degrees and the temperature in the barn was 85. So you do now, he says that now I can breed cows year round and I can have less, less of production in, in the summer. And I think that's paying for my cost of electricity, uh, for the for running these fans, right? But he has access to that. So can we in the future be able to generate more electricity, maybe renewable sources of energy to, to generate that electricity, even maybe on farm, to be able to use these fans and to be able to cool cows in places like Texas or California, you name it, where California is much more open. But again, maybe it doesn't make, like you said, maybe it doesn't pay off, right? It depends on, on the costs and so on. So there's no one formula, and I think that's, things we need to keep in mind um technology even on fame that leads really nicely into into um another discussion point the economics right so so many times we'll see um again getting back to some publications uh perhaps it's a synchronization program or some other strategy but certainly as we look at technology and the cost of those technologies um you know some herds adopting those and then maybe even as as uh uh, less new, if you will, as daily milk weights on individual cows versus pen level weights versus VHI uh, testing versus nothing. Um, but how do you and your group uh, take a, a trial, some research, some data, and then work through not only the practical application of that and, and the benefits at the cow level, you mentioned labor, obviously, but then the bottom line economics, what is the return on implementing this system in, in your dairy? Can you talk a little bit about that? We haven't done a ton of economics for those specific studies. Um, we, we had a tool we developed uh, with the economists here and, and, and next door, Bill Lazarus and Jim Sulfur and I work with them, developing a model more to compare parlor and robots and see the benefits of installing robot installing robots in terms of the payoff. And then uh, we, we had a talk at Dairy Science uh, ADSA meetings this summer where when we look at that, it's just a tool, of course, not a perfect, it's using inputs from stuff we collected, but it's still like a modeling kind of thing. Um, we found that, for example, if you go, I think the number is 3,000 or 3,500 cows, um, it would not really pay at all to have like a box system robot. You're still much better off having a 
rotary system or you have very well-trained employees because it's so much more efficient in terms of how many cows you can milk, milk per hour and so on. But with the cost of labor going up as it is and also the some states coming up with the maximum number of hours per week that employees can work, that of course increases your cost of labor. Um, even that larger dairy, 2,000 cows and so on, it was starting to pay, if you will, to install box robots. And um, economically speaking, uh, not only for labor flexibility and, and the type of labor you can attract, but also from economics, which we were surprised because there was a timing place that did not happen. Um, larger, you know, leaders of that size, robots would be a no-no in terms of economics. It's kind of changing because the costs have gone up. Um, so we try to do a little bit of that, but I, not every study that I do, we, and we should probably, right? <laughs> we should do more economics because obviously if it change, you decided to adopt, you know, install like cross ventilation, for example. We did see benefits in cow comfort index and some benefits on, on lameness prevalence, minimum though, because they're all sand-based farms um, for bedding. Um, but we didn't kind of look at the economics of those fans running pretty much all the time, right? That, that is a cost. So a very valid point. And I think that's something the producers obviously are keeping track, keeping track of. Um, but uh, we should do a better job at that. No, but, but just, again, a, a model like that, though, at least working through those inputs and, and uh, the decision process, you know, thinking, thinking all of that through. Um, and your comment about labor is, is, is super relevant because we've certainly seen, you know, more adoption of technology that, that, has benefit, okay, but it, but it wasn't adopted sooner um, for for many different reasons. You know the decision making process on the dairy, but now uh, mandatory overtime and and, and uh, labor regulations have really made that in some cases um, uh, I don't say a no brainer, but okay, we're gonna we're going to do this um, outside of the benefit because we really need to reduce uh, labor. Hopefully, though, those technologies do bring a benefit and we're not seeing that change for the, um, you know, to sacrifice any any cow management or benefit to the cow. Yeah, and I think that's something that also has changed. I think, Mark, over the few years, we've done our first robotic studies probably over 10 years ago. And we see a difference in the technology itself being better, you know, in attaching and so on. But also uh, improvements on how we manage cows in, in those systems, how we train them, how we feed them. Uh, there's been an evolution. So we're doing a much better job. So there's not necessarily loss. So cows can be productive in a system like that, right? Um, so I, I think that that's a, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see how things have improved. I'm not saying it's not a, you know, doesn't have it its own challenges because now you're dealing with a lot of pieces of equipment that need a lot of maintenance and so on, right? So you still need to write, hire the right person that can hopefully be handy enough to fix things and get keep that system operational to its performance, you know, best capacity as possible. So you don't get into trouble and then and, and you cause a negative, um, negative in performance or health or and so on. Uh, and then another thing that's hard sometimes to put on these evaluations of economics is that when we have a system, let's say I'm just using robotic milking as an example because we do more research with it, but it also provides you so much more information about each cow. So how we use those data for decision-making is, is very important, right? So data for the sake of data is not good, but I think companies are getting better at providing basically a, a to-do list. You know, these are things you need to do today to these cows, and this is what's going on. So that 
information a lot of times is not available from a farm that just has a conventional parlor with no technology that's tracking cows for anything. So I think that's a benefit that is hard to put an economics to it, a model, but it is an intrinsic benefit of being able to monitor individual cows housed in groups, which we can't really do, right, in a, in a conventional freestyle barn. So I think we're all learning, and I think technology is going to be part of our um, dairy not at different extents, right? Some people have nothing, like you said, or not much, maybe automatic takeoffs and things like that. Some people have individual milks now or have at least automatic sorting, or you can have partial automation where you have a pre and post dip in a, in a, in a parlor or like a rotary or something that preps and, you know posts um, or brushes that prep or things like you mentioned earlier that can actually test milk for, for you know, doing cultures automatically or detecting somatic cell counts automatically, different things like that. Farms can put different types of technology um, in, in, on, their, on their farm and uh, be able to monitor, better manage those animals individually. Actually, Marcia, that brings up a really great point. I was thinking of some other things, but really, um, well, two things. One, we do work in some areas of the world where the power infrastructure, for example, that was a very significant decision um, about building a, a cross vent, okay? Because what happens now if a, if a cross vent doesn't have electricity, that's an emergency. That's that's more of an emergency than than the parlor going down, right? Yeah, we need to milk, but we could get by without milking. But if it's even in the in the winter, you could, you know. But even in the if it was the summer and a cross vent didn't work, that's cows will die, right? And what do you, what do you do? So, you know, there's one. And then I think another comment about technology is then the um, you know rural internet, if you will. So having systems that are also backed up on the dairy and not all your data being in the cloud. So you're going out to um, do herd health. You're going out to give vaccinations. You're going out to dry off cows and Wi-Fi is down in a rural area. Can you get your list? Can you manage things day to day? So um, again, I think, you know, adaptation um, to, to these technologies and, and um, contingency plans, you know, some of those things may not be emergencies if we don't get the cows vaccinated um, today, but uh, others can be, uh, you know, significant, um, certainly. Definitely. Those are very important points to keep in mind. Definitely. Yes. So um, along the lines of some of your, your current projects, uh, what, are, what are some things that you're working on you know, right now, some, some uh, new data or, or, or uh, things that you're investigating that would be exciting for our listeners Okay, just finalizing some uh, research we did in collaboration with the Wisconsin, uh, some of the folks that do machine learning over there, and uh, looking back to the automatic milk feeders, and we found some new uh, predictive models for detection of health problems in calves. Um, we had a, a relatively, I mean, a lot of these studies maybe had been done already, but tend to be smaller sites like, you know, 65 calves or um, you know, hundreds some calves in a research facility. We had a commercial dairy that's 2,500 cows. So we had a close to 800 heifers and we had more events to work with, over a thousand events um, to to test and to, to do a developing uh, a predictive model. Uh, so hopefully that becomes something that can be um, added to the software uh, for producers that are using those technologies to better detect calves that um, might be sick, you know, at least, 
easy uh, detection so that they can treat them or do something that prevents them from becoming more severely ill. Uh, another project that we're uh, working on and finalizing is, um, I don't know if you can speak about, because I will collaborate with a company that has a feed additive, actually, that we use for uh, fresh cows, first 30 days in milk. And the beauty of using, uh, for this time, we use the robotic farm as a site for testing this thing, which the beauty of robotic systems is that you can feed cows different things in the same group. So all these cows have the same partial expression, but they had, some cows had the treatment and some cows did not. And we amazingly found a difference. And during the period of supplementation, which was the first five weeks, 30 days of milk, five weeks or so, a seven pound milk response. And for the multiple cows, that was significant, of course. And then for heifers, it was not picked up significant, almost three and a half pounds. And then even after the supplementation period, we had a carryover for at least another four to six weeks. I can remember, I don't have the thing in front of me here. I'm still working on the paper. But that way, a carryover with still more production even after supplementation had ended. Um, so the beauty of that is being able to, to feed different things to cows that need it and not feed that additive to everyone if you don't need to. So that's another thing I like about coming back to my nutritional background and it, precision feeding, if you will. Um, it's nice to be able to test those kind of things, right? So we're in the process of uh, finalizing that paper and, again, collaborated with a dairy here that has eight robots. So we had enough uh, pens to work with, enough cows to work with, which is kind of nice. So I, I think that that brings uh, you know a point that I think is really interesting as as I've seen in my career, um, you know starting out in, in uh, northern New York um, with with in general smaller farms, lots of individual cow management. So you may um, we talked a little bit about this um, last podcast with Paul Fricky, but um, based on the owner manager's knowledge of that cow, you may delay her voluntary weight period. You may give her a little more grain if it's a tie stall type facility, very individual management. And then we, we move towards really herd based management. And I think somewhat because of the, you know, increase in, in, in farm size or herd, herd, uh, herd size, and then lack of technology, right? How do you now manage an individual cow in a pen of, of a hundred, 200 or more, and I think what's really cool for us now is as we collect more data and, and, and uh, we understand individual cow genetics and, and we can pinpoint what that cow needs, we're going now back to more individual cow management, you know, still managing the herd, but what can we do? Robots are a great example. Can you feed this cow a supplement? Can you do something different with this cow? She's in the fresh pen longer or uh, less time based on information that we have, either machine learning uh, activity monitoring or, or, or genomics. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, at least in, I, I don't think it, not a short, but hopefully not, I still have plenty of years to go to, for a long career, seeing that change from individual to more herd and now back to individual. Right, right. And be able to maybe group cows differently in, in farms that are large, right? You have multiple pens, but then having information about the individual cows, where the cows should go and what can we give to that group. To, you know what I mean? Like we have those possibilities now, not just of robotic dairies, but conventional dairies that have technology. We can learn more about animals individually, like you're saying, and then target things to them, even if it's a smaller group or something. I don't know. I mean, the possibilities are kind of endless. I mean, it's changing so fast, too. And we have so many new technologies all the time that it's kind of hard to keep track of what's happening because it's a lot. And even though we are kind of in this world, if you will, work with technology, I don't know all of that's going on. And then even though we have a conference every two years and we try to bring some of these technologies together, it's just 
that is a lot, a lot of development. And uh, yeah, which is great. It's great. It's exciting. Uh, no, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for, for those that it works. It's a great tool, you know, and it just needs to be used effectively, not just for the sake of it. It has to be leading to an action and makes a difference on the farm and makes that farm more efficient. So Marcia, can you comment a little bit about um, errors in data interpretation? Okay. And <clears throat> I guess what I'm getting at is that um, we spend a lot of time thinking about this. We, you know, we do a lot with integration of data and reporting and so forth. Um, so certainly agree that there's lots of data that doesn't get utilized. You know, the, the, the farm, especially compared to uh, maybe some other ag industries, there's all this data, you know, uh, touch points at least three times a day or two times a day for, for cows in the parlor and milk data and so forth and so on. But we've also seen where there's over-interpretation of the data. So, you know, through some data mining, um, folks on the farm or even some advisors will will then go back to that cause and effect. And um, obviously you need to be really careful with that because it's not a randomized trial. So, you know, if you look at um, perhaps milk production based on uh, days open and, and things of that nature, these cows weren't randomized into those groups. That's their innate behavior based on their physiology and, and genetics and so forth. So, um, any comments there about appropriate analysis of the data and not over-interpretation? Yeah, I think we need to be careful because, like you said, there's so much data, right? And I know the companies that have the technologies, name it, whatever technology it is, they are trying to do their best. They, they have eight IT people within their labor force, you know, that are doing all kinds of algorithms and, and things that hopefully can help the producer. But we know they're not 100%. I mean, there's some false positives, false negatives, and so on. Uh, if you're trying to detect, if you're focusing on disease, for example, um, we're missing a few cows. We detect some they're actually not sick just because their behavior is real erratic that day. And so we need to be careful um, how we use it. And for the producers, they're busy, right? They don't have a lot of time uh, to dig in. Some some spend a lot of time. I've noticed actually they like technology and they like data, so they might something. <laughs> And that's when maybe the over-interpretation can happen because, again, it's like you said earlier, one cow that's doing something does not necessarily mean that that's what's really happening. Um, and I don't know how we caution them. Um, that's why I like that's important that I think industry and academics and everybody kind of talks and then we understand consultants and so on. So we kind of all on the same page that, okay, there is good, but that's not overuse it either. Let's kind of be careful and... My producers I work with, for example, that have robots, they do look at those reports three times a day, two times a day, three, four times sometimes. And then they they know their cows too, and for the most part, even the larger dairies that have 2,000, 3,000 cows, they kind of, employees know the animals, and then they're going to act also based on their their own knowledge of the animal, not just blindly going with the data. So I see the data and the reports and stuff like that as a partner with the human really helping you streamline your work day and then point out to these animals that might need attention. And most of those might be right, but some are a waste of time in the sense that that might be false, false positives. Right. So I, I think we're not quite at the, at the, at the point where we're hundred percent. I don't know if we're ever going to get to hundred percent because there's, it's a biological system. I mean, even now, like on my phone, sometimes I say I took more steps than that because I don't have a watch. I don't like writing anything. My husband has the watch, so he gets everything. But it's just like, okay, wait a minute. Um, so it's cl close. I think it's close because I test on my own phone and 
kind of counted and made sure. <laughs> but but it's it's like I think it's getting better, Mark. I think technology itself is getting better because AI, you know, AI meaning artificial uh, insemination, AI, artificial intelligence, has really improved too. And I think we're getting more specific, more sensitive. I don't know if they're ever going to be 100%. So keep that in mind. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so I really enjoyed the uh, our conversation here this morning, uh, Marcia. Um a little bit of plug for the uh, Precision Dairy Conference that'll be next June. Um, so hopefully we could have you back uh, again as it, as it gets a little closer and, and uh, have more of the program solidified and so forth. But can you tell us a little bit about the the mission of that <clears throat> uh, meeting, if you will, and and some of the plans you have? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a great opportunity to integrate um, industry folks, dairy producers, veterinarians, academia. And then see, you know, the new technologies that are there and this not only description, but then uh, an open discussion of where those uh, technologies can fit. So can you give the audience here listening um, a little bit of a promotion for attending the, uh, the meeting next year? Kind of it. You described really well, Mark. So the idea is to have this neutral environment or neutral space where everybody can come together, different companies, producers, consultants, you know, veterinarians, academics. And we have uh, an opportunity to discuss uh, topics that relate to technology. And I think this year we're thinking about the big picture of sustainability, how technology can play into it, our labor efficiency, how veterinarians can um, benefit from using technology and what's coming, what's the new technology coming, and maybe a little bit on the research too, like a few abstracts that can be presented on the research that's being done in the U.S. So it's a U.S.-based conference. People tend to come from other countries sometimes too. It's going to be in person this time at the same location that we had last year. We had a hybrid. Uh, this next year, 2023, is going to be only in person at the same hotel, the Hyatt Regency near the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, June 20th, 20th and 21st. Um, for a couple of days of getting together and having hopefully nice discussions, not only during the, the discussion, official discussion time at the, the sessions, but also in the hallways and, and lunch and, and reception and so on. So hopefully, uh, please join us. The program is in development yet, but please mark your calendars um, and, and appreciate the collaboration of the industry partners that we have too in terms of sponsorship. So thank you for uh, being with us already. Some already signed up for it so it's great our website is in development right now so i'm gonna keep it for the moment but i'll make the keep an eye on announcements uh and uh hopefully you can join us next year again 20 and 21st uh, 2023 in uh, minnesota um, bloomington which is close to the minneapolis st paul airport five minute ride so easy to get to from anywhere in the country hopefully and also close driving. So thank you for joining us and thank you for the time today, Mark. I lost track of how much time we talked since we had a little technological things going on, but hopefully it was not super long. Thank you for having me and uh, great joining me all the way from Mexico. That's awesome. And keep it, things going out there. Uh, it's great, great dairy industry across the world um, and um, appreciate uh, the time and the opportunity uh, to be a, today at the podcast. Thank you. No, th thank you very much, Marcia. A great discussion. Again, I think we can continue to go on uh, in, di in different areas or, or uh, uh, avenues there. But um, certainly as we wrap up, 
Um, again, thanks again. We'll look forward to the conference and, and then look forward to the research coming um, you know, from your group, the extended University of Minnesota, both animal science, uh, veterinary uh, school, and uh, you know, the great research uh, you do for the industry. Thank you so much. Um, so you have a great, great afternoon and we'll look forward to hearing from you again, hopefully next year as we get closer to the uh, Precision Dairy Conference. Thanks so much.